another episode of The Bible in Life. We've been in a series on hope, and in this episode, we're going to look at something I'm super excited to talk about with you. We're going to talk about our ultimate destiny as human beings if we're followers of Jesus, and not just our ultimate destiny, really the ultimate destiny of the entire earth. And so that's what we're going to get to. But before we jump into that, um, one major announcement that I'm super excited about, and that's this, that I have been working out the kinks and the bugs on my uh, online course platform for membership subscription for churches. And so if you're a pastor listening to this, then I want you to know this, that beginning May 12th through June 15th of this year, 2019, that one month, I'm going to be opening up membership subscriptions to churches and ministries uh, for a special kind of charter price. You can get in on the ground floor, and regardless of the size of your church or your ministry, you can get in on this for the cheapest price possible. Um, and so that is all, all the information about that is on my website at johnwhitaker.net under courses and subscriptions, and I will put a link to that in the notes below. So if you're a pastor, an elder, a church leader, a missionary, and you're looking for some resources to help you train and equip people, you've experienced the frustration that I hear from pastors wherever I go and whoever I talk to that, man, my people are so busy and we used to have a 101, 201, 301 class and now I, I we're just having a next step class. Just heard that yesterday from a pastor I was talking to or I don't even know quite how to train my small group leaders because we offer trainings and hardly any show up and everyone's work schedules are crazy. If you've experienced any of that and you're like, how do I how do I really train and equip people to follow Jesus when I can barely get them to church on Sunday and everyone's so busy? If you've experienced that, then I want to invite you to, to think about online courses as a way to do that. That rather than trying to get people to our building into another church event, why don't we put training resources right on the palm of people's hands where they spend most of their time anyhow on their phone, their tablet, their computer. So that's what I've put together and I am now ready to kind of launch that full scale. So if you're a pastor or church leader, man, I invite you to check that out on my website, May 12th, June 15th, open enrollment for that one month at special charter pricing. I'm going to close it off after June 15th and I'm going to help the churches that sign up really begin to think through how to implement those courses and and uh, give them some uh, guidance and coaching on that. Then I'll open up again uh, maybe later towards the end of the summer. But May 12th, June 15th, if you're a pastor uh, and you're looking for some ways to help equip and teach and train your people, then um, check out the link in the notes below to my website for church subscriptions. All right? All right. <clears throat> now, let's get ready to jump into this episode. We're in the series on hope. And if you're like most of the Christians I talk to, then what we're going to look at today is different than what you think our ultimate destiny is as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Um, my experience has been that most Christians think that our hope, the ultimate thing we're hoping for, is to go to heaven when we die. My assumption would be that if you're like most of them, that's what you expect. Like, And maybe when you even hear me say that that's kind of what we assume and that's not it, that you're like, wait, wait, hold on, I, I thought that was what we're looking forward to. I thought that was our hope. And it's maybe part of our hope, but it's not our ultimate hope. It's not our ultimate destiny. Our hope is actually bigger and greater than that. 
two resources I would highly recommend if you want to really understand more fully what the Bible teaches our hope is. The first one is Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Really this comprehensive study of everything the Bible says about our future destiny and our future hope with a lot of even question and answers in the second half of the book that people have asked him. The second book is called Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Really a thorough study of everything the Bible teaches about uh, what our hope is and what difference that should make in our lives. All right, so those two resources I would highly recommend if you want to really deepen your understanding of what the Bible teaches about our hope. I'll put the links to those down in the notes below. So the passage I want us to look at together today is really pointing towards our ultimate hope. It made sense to me to say, let's start with our ultimate end in mind so that we can really understand what our hope is, and then we can work back through some of the other passages that are parts of that or look forward to that in different ways, all right? So we're going to look at a passage out of 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, um, and we're going to pick up really in verse 10 through 13. So 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13 points towards what we're ultimately looking forward to as the people of God for our hope and what our ultimate destiny is as God's people. So let's look at that text, but I actually want to look at the very last verse first and then go back through that text and try to really understand what it's about. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says this, According to his promise, his being God, so according to God's promise, we're looking for, here's what we're looking for, here's what we're hoping for, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, just a couple notes on that passage itself is, um, obviously, what are we looking forward to? Not just going to heaven when we die, right? What, what this text says we're looking forward to is, a new heavens and a new earth. And in context here in 2 Peter 3, when it says a new heavens, it's meaning the universe, the sky, the outer atmosphere, the whole universe. We're looking forward to a new universe, a new heavens, a new starry place, a new starry realm, and a new earth. That's what we're looking forward to. All right. And that's really important. So, uh, will you go to heaven when you die? Well, if you die before Jesus comes and you're in Christ, then yes, you will go to heaven when you die, but that's just not ultimately what you're looking forward to. That's not ultimately what God has promised. What God has promised is a brand new earth and a brand new universe in which we will live forever. That's what we're looking forward to. So, And this text says, and that's according to his promise. Now, where did God promise that? Well, Peter is most likely reflecting on Isaiah 65, 17, where uh, Isaiah writes these words, For behold, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. That's probably the promise that Peter has in mind, is this promise of a new heavens and a new earth. Um, Book of Revelation, John, the apostle, actually picks up the same theme, the same idea. Then John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So there is going to come a time in the history of the world, a history that a foreign Christ will participate in, in which there will be a brand new universe and a brand new planet Earth. That's 
our ultimate destiny. That's what we're looking forward to, all right? And so this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 ends with that promise, with that forward look um, of what we're looking forward to. And the way we understand verse 13 then should inform how we understand the, the verses that precede it, verses 10 through 12, that speak about the heavens and the earth being destroyed and burned up. So we have to make sure we, we hear that we're actually looking forward to a new heavens and new earth if we're going to understand what he says about this present heavens and present earth. So look at verse 10. Um, the Apostle Peter writes these words. He says, Now the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The imagery of the thief is used in Scripture. We'll see it in various places that talk about our hope. But for the, the kind of the surprise factor, that we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. It's going to kind of come as a surprise. We know because of the promise that it's coming. We just don't know exactly when. That's the, the force of the idea of the imagery of a thief. So the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in which the heavens, meaning the universe, the sky, the stars, all that, the heavens will pass away with a roar, uh, with a, a kind of a loud roaring sound. We don't know exactly why that is or what that's about. We just know that there's going to be a loud, a, a loud noise, he says, when the heavens pass away. Some scholars say maybe that's like the voice of God shouting in judgment, or maybe it's just the whole earth just being kind of crackling like thunder and, and uh, rolling up like a scroll. We don't know. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but the heavens and the earth will pass away with the roar, and the elements probably referring to just the basic building blocks of all that is. The elements will be burned up, destroyed, melt, in some translations, with intense heat. And then the next line is actually challenging. And the earth and its works, in this translation I'm reading from, which is the New American Standard, will be burned up. The earth and its works will be burned up. The NIV says they will be laid bare. Some of that's because um, scholars are really wrestling with, okay, what's the, what's the best way to understand the original text and the original language there? Literally, the, the, um, the text seems to have originally said um, that the earth and all its works will be found. What does that mean, will be found? And how do we understand that? Um, that's a little bit awkward. But probably what it means is will be like disclosed will be found out, and hence will be laid bare in the NIV. And that's probably the better idea than what we have here in the New American Standard, where it says burned up. It's more the idea that um, they will be disclosed. This seems to be just speaking of God's judgment, particularly connected with verse 7 up above, where um, there's going to be this judgment that comes for the ungodly world, that um, the way things currently are. And so the, the idea seems to be the earth and its works will be disclosed. They're against God way of life and all of that, that they will be judged for their rebellion against God. That's probably what that's getting at. Then the, the verse we looked at in our last episode where we said that Christian hope fuels Christian living, where it says, now, since all these things are to be, be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy contact and godliness? That, as we said in our last episode, that um, every passage in the New Testament letters that bring up things related to our ultimate destiny, our Christian hope, have some connection to Christian living. And here we see that here. So we talked about that in the last episode. So I'm going to move on beyond that. But then he says in verse 12, looking for 
and hastening the coming day of God. So we're looking forward to, we're uh, praying for, we're working towards the coming day of God because of which, and here he says it again, the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. And all that destruction matters because it's a part of the judgment God is going to bring on this world and on the ungodly nature of this world. That's why this is happening, all right? It's not happening arbitrarily or randomly. It's happening because God is is purifying this world. He's judging this world. He's removing the ungodly from it. And scholars are actually somewhat divided on whether what Peter's describing is like it's melting, this burning up is just, you know, burning away all the the impurities, all the unrighteousness, all the ungodliness, whether it's just burning away all of that, or whether it's like totally destroying the present heavens and earth, and then he's going to replace it with a brand new one. So is he just going to renovate it, or is he going to destroy and recreate? And scholars are somewhat divided. It's not totally clear. And in the long run, it doesn't totally matter because the point um, the point is really clear of what our ultimate destiny is, right? So this burning up of the earth and the heavens and melting and all of that doesn't mean that the earth is bad, doesn't mean that it's temporary, doesn't mean that what, where God really wants to get us is into out of our bodies and into just a spiritual state where we'll float around as spirits, you know, uh, with harps and halos and clouds. That's not our ultimate destiny. Um, that's not what God wants for us. We were always intended to live on a planet Earth. We were always intended to be embodied beings relating to God that way. That's part of the good world that God made. Now that good world has gone astray and gone against God. So God is going to um, either renovate it or recreate it. But ultimately, what we can say about the future world and our ultimate destiny is that it's physical. We're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. It's physical. Um, There will be a new universe that will be born, and we're looking forward to that day in a new, brand new, uh, restored, perfect world. In fact, verse 13, let's read it again. According to his promise, then, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth. That's what we're looking forward to, and notice how it ends in which righteousness dwells. In which righteousness dwells. In other words, there's going to be a brand new universe and a brand new earth where everything is the way it's supposed to be, where everything works the way it's designed to work, where everything runs the way God intends it to run, where everything operates according to his will. And I suspect, since we know Peter is probably thinking of Isaiah 65, God's promise there, that this phrase in which righteousness dwells is probably Peter's summary for what Isaiah 65, as Isaiah describes kind of in picturesque kind of imagery language, metaphorical language, he pictures this Um, new heavens and new earth. And some of the things Isaiah says is like, death is removed. You're not going to have like, you know, people dying at birth and only living a few days. Death is removed. Injustice is done away with. That work will be satisfying. We'll work with our hands and we'll get satisfaction out of it and it'll produce what it's supposed to produce. That there'll be harmony in all of creation. Those are some of the things that Isaiah paints a picture of 
in what he describes in Isaiah 65. In fact, let me just read you Isaiah 65 verses 20 and following so you can kind of hear Isaiah's portrayal of this new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isaiah writes, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't live out his years. Why? Because death is removed. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought of like a mere child. Uh, The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. And these are picturesque imagery of like everlasting life. They will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and they will eat their fruit, satisfying work. Um, no longer will, there, will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat, right? There's not going to be injustice in the world and things not working out. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Think of that. Trees that are two, three, four thousand years old. This is Isaiah's picture of just this ongoing life where everything works right. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, and they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer them. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And then he speaks of harmony in all of nature. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. Remember, the serpent is an imagery of Satan in Scripture, and so he's doomed to the dust, right? They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The picture of a world in which righteousness dwells, in which everything is the way it's supposed to be. This is what Peter has in mind when he talks about a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It is God's good world, reborn, remade, and that's our ultimate destiny. And so, as we begin to think about what is our hope, well, don't think about being you know, in some sort of vague, shadowy spirit world forever and ever. Picture earth, a perfect earth. No disease, no death, no natural disasters, harmony in all of creation, right? Harmony between people and people, harmony between people and animals, harmony between people and nature. Everything is full of shalom and peace and harmony and goodness. That's what God is preparing for us. That's the world we're looking forward to, a world where everything works right. And Isaiah has painted in kind of poetic picturesque prophetic language of that world of the wolf and the lamb eating together the the you know in other places he talks about a little children actually playing by a, a snake's den and not having to worry about it because there's not disharmony there um, you're able to work and build your house and you don't have to worry about someone breaking in and stealing you're able to plant your vineyard and there's going to be plenty of food and, and the relationship between you and God is perfect and uh, he anticipates your calls and you call out to him and he answers even before there's a word on your lips because you're living in perfect harmony That's the new earth where everything is the way it's supposed to be. That's where this world is heading. That's the destiny of this planet earth. That's the destiny of every person who's a child of God to live in a world just like that. And so that's the ultimate end of our hope. And that's what we're looking forward to. And although I may not know all the details, I find that picture so much more concrete and ironically down to earth than 
Um, just going to heaven when I die. I can picture that. I can picture a beautiful, lush, vibrant, green planet Earth. I can picture living there with other people, enjoying our life together in perfect harmony with each other and with God. I can picture that, and that draws me forward. And that's that's the power of our hope. And so we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hey, if you want to know more about that, those books I mentioned earlier, particularly that book on heaven, the first half just goes through all these biblical um, passages dealing with what our hope is. And the second half has lots of questions and answers that people have asked about that. So that book on heaven by Randy Alcorn that I have linked down below, man, check that out uh, if you would. And I think it could be really, really helpful to you. All right, thanks for joining me on this episode of The Bible in Life. If uh, you want to support the show, it's a listener-supported podcast, you can do that two ways. You can do that through my Patreon page, or you can do it through World Family Mission. I will put the links to both of those in the notes below as well. Thanks to everyone who prays for and uh, financially supports my Bible teaching ministry, whether through the podcast, whether through YouTube. Man, I appreciate you, and uh, you make this possible. So thanks a ton for that. God bless each and every one of you. May you live with great hope because of God's good promises. We'll see you in the next episode.